shock, horror, disbelief. The most horrific attack on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. In a siege of hatred and horror, Hamas terrorists slaughtered more than a thousand Israeli men, women, and children in one of the most brutal displays of inhumanity in history. Today, we hear from Ballard Partners, Robert Wexler, the former congressman who's been recognized as one of the most influential leaders in the American Jewish community and throughout the Middle East, to figure out what all this could mean and how a regional war may force the rest of the world to either stand down or choose up. From Ballard Studios in Washington, D.C., a special edition of 13th and Park. We give you information, not a panic attack. We look what's going on. I mean, my God, this was it. The kids were gonna die. That time is gone forever. This is the biggest story in America. We weren't prepared for this. Don't you want to speak truth to power? Toughest thing I ever had to do. Well, Robert, it's been a hell of a week. Have you been in touch with friends, colleagues, others over in Israel? Yes, uh, both in Israel and on the Palestinian side as well. And what are you hearing? What are they telling you? Shock, horror, disbelief, a complete chaotic understanding of the world. How did this happen? How can people be so barbaric? Um, all kinds of emotion. And I would say, particularly on the Israeli side, a, a lack of understanding how people, even if they have certain grievances, mm. can behave in the degree of horror that, that the Israelis have experienced this week. Well, you know, Israel for a long time has had a reputation as one of the most secure places on earth in terms of you know its borders, its security, its ability to strike against those that were prepared to strike against it. And yet, I just you know was reading, as everyone else was, I'm sure, the expose in the New York Times, talking about all the breaches in security, how the remote posts were overrun by remote drones, and four military bases were under siege, soldiers killed in their bed, and then, of course, all the atrocities. What does this do in terms of Israel's sense of security, going from oh, we're, we're solid. If anyone comes after us, we, we're together. We're ready to, oh my God, we're not. The Israelis need to regain deterrence. That arguably is their number one goal. Um, the objective, of course, in Gaza is to get the hostages back and to defeat Hamas. But ultimately, in terms of the security of the nation, the security of the people, the idea that people feel secure within their own borders, that will depend on a perception as much as a reality of Israel having reconstituted a degree of deterrence, not just for Hamas, but for Hezbollah, for Iran, for Syria, for anyone else who wishes to do Israel harm. Why did Hamas do this now? I mean, I'm sure that's a big question, not fully answered, obviously, we went out of the answer for a while. Why do you think it was this moment, 50, almost 50 years to the day of the Yom Kippur War, that they chose to go in and go in this way? I can't put myself in the mind of a, of a terrorist group, but I think there are certain factors we should not ignore. Number one, um, Hamas didn't become hateful, vengeful terrorists overnight. Their charter initially issued, I think, in 1987 was one of the most anti-Semitic, most violent charters to be created. It was amended, I think, in 2017 to be just a tiny bit less 
anti-Semitic and, and less violent, but, but still they are who they are. They are a terrorist organization that has got one primary design, to destroy the state of Israel. Um, why now? Um, I think there are certain factors that have to do with the relationship between Hamas and Fatah within the Palestinian family, so to speak. Palestinian authority is dramatically weakened. There will be a transition at some point from President Abbas to what comes next. Hamas is jockeying in the West Bank, uh, where they do not have control, to gain control. And they saw this opportunity, no doubt. The trend of normalization is a trend that Hamas and Iran deeply oppose. It threatens them. And, of course, on the brink was normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Right. And to the Saudis' credit, they attempted to include, to the degree possible, the Muslim Brotherhood to bring them inside the tent. But for a variety of reasons, that, that didn't seem to be working out. So you can make the argument logically that the, the straw that may have broken the back was the idea that Saudi Arabia, the biggest of the big, would normalize its relationship with Israel and that the Muslim Brotherhood would somehow, Hamas, would somehow be left out of that equation. We're going to get to Iran in a second, but think about the more moderate Arab states. You, you mentioned Saudi Arabia. It also include Qatar, UAE, Bahrain, Morocco. What do they do in this environment where they're trying not to completely violate their roots, but also know that the path to peace doesn't lie in the road through Hamas? I think what we, and I say we collectively, the United States and our allies, the countries you just mentioned, the moderate Arab countries, we have a responsibility, of course, number one, to support Israel 100 percent politically, diplomatically, financially. We also need to give them the time and the space to do what they need to do to defeat Hamas. But we have, I think, even a greater responsibility, and that gets to your question particularly, and that is to offer or help to offer the Palestinian people a vision for something different and better than what Hamas has offered them. And that starts in the West Bank. And to some degree, it's counterintuitive. The tragedy occurred and emanated from Gaza. Right. The Israelis have to finish their military mission. But in the interim, whether that takes three days, three weeks, three months, or whatever it takes, in the interim, I would argue, leading with Saudi Arabia, but of course a very special American role, there has to be a pushing up of the more moderate Palestinian camps. We must embolden those Palestinians who reject the act of violence as the means in which to accomplish their political You ends. say to do that, Robert, but are you talking about embracing groups, organized groups, Palestinians, or more directly the Palestinian people? How do you do that? You embrace the uh, Palestinian Authority mm -hmm. under certain rules. The Palestinian Authority will have to change its prisoner payment system. You embrace the Palestinian private sector, which is vibrant, very difficult for them to, to prosper. But there are dozens and dozens of very significant private sector actors within the Palestinian community. There needs to be, in, in my humble opinion, support for, for UN operations to provide humanitarian relief for Palestinian people. There needs to be economic incentives 
Jobs aren't everything, of course, but they are essential if you're going to give people hope. A good example always, it, it's relied upon to some degree too much, but what did we, the United States, and our allies do after World War II right. in Germany and Japan? Now, it's not an exact analogy. There are religious elements here that have to be addressed and brought into the peace camp. But the point is, after such a horrific circumstance, this is not a, a case of rewarding terror, just the opposite. This is a case of demonstrating to Palestinians who do not in any way support terror that there is a better path than the path that Hamas is offering. And you're saying right now, Robert, they don't really see that path. What they see is a Hamas that achieved a stunning victory against, as you say, the perceived to be unbeatable Israel. Right. And then they have a Palestinian authority that Palestinians themselves see as inept and corrupt. Um, and so what we need to do, the United States, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, Egypt, Jordan, Morocco, we need to prop up and bolster Palestinians who, who believe in nonviolence in terms of achieving their political goals. I'm not going to dream things that are impossible. The lesson they're going to learn from this is not to start giving uh, concession after concession to the Palestinian people. Right. No, that's not going to happen. But what needs to happen is an investment in the Palestinian people in the West Bank so that they can see some ray of light coming out of this darkness. Well, as you know, this isn't all happening in isolation, and there's been discussion for years and certainly in the last uh, couple of days about the possible role of Iran in all of this. They are not idle sideline actors here. They applauded Hamas immediately upon their raid. There's been talk about maybe they were funding them to some degree, certainly encouraging them. I want to play you a clip, Robert. This is one of like thousands of clips talking about the relationship between Iran and this situation and get your thoughts on it. Hamas and its main patron in the region, Iran, want to stop the momentum behind an Israeli-Saudi peace deal. This is a deal that would build on the Abraham Accords where Israel made peace with other Arab nations. Uh, undoubtedly, that's a threat to Iran and Iran has been funding Hamas. So this is an effort to inject uh, military violence into the middle of those negotiations and make it much harder for Israel to pursue peace. Now, Iran, as we know, Robert, has nuclear ambitions. We hear more and more they could be close to the mark where they would be able to wield a nuclear weapon, which would scare everybody. You talked earlier about the Abraham Accords. Can they ever be resuscitated, given the environment we're now looking at, at least for the foreseeable future? Uh, the answer is not only yes, but the answer must be absolutely yes. Um, we cannot allow Iran essentially to achieve a victory from this uh, horrific terrorist attack. We have to double our efforts, triple our efforts, the United States and our allies, to make certain that, that normalization does occur. Normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel has, ha, has many benefits, one of which which is, is, I would argue, possibly the most important, is to help create that wall of contest mm -hmm. with Iran so mm -hmm. the West will win the conflict with Iran. That's essential. If, if normalization is a victim of the Hamas horrific attack, 
then then that'll be a double victory, not just for Hamas, but especially for Iran. We cannot allow that. But I think there's a bit of a unusual discussion in, in the last few days in an attempt to try to attach Iran specifically with some smoking gun to this attack. I actually don't think it's relevant. Iran has supported Hamas and Hezbollah financially for years in the biggest of ways. They are the state leading sponsor of terror in the world. Whether they have a smoking gun or not, they are directly attached to the objectives and the tactics of Hamas. They are guilty and they should be held responsible. And one of the ways to hold them responsible is to proceed with normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel, obviously taking into consideration the situation on the ground. But that needs to be the ultimate result. There are moments like this, Robert, that bring people together or should bring people together. And I can say that when I watched President Biden give his remarks to the world, not just as an American, but a Jewish American, I was really impressed. He said the right things in the right way. And I think it came from a very deep part of him that was necessary as the world looks for a sense of calm and stability ahead. So let me play this clip from the press conference and get your comment. Infants in their mother's arms, grandparents in wheelchairs, Holocaust survivors abducted and held hostage. Hostages whom Hamas has now threatened to execute in violation of every code of human morality. Let there be no doubt the United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. It's as simple as that. What is the proper role of the United States in the war in Israel? And what must it be moving forward for the security, not just of the Middle East, but of the freedom-loving world? Well, first, I, I think that was President Biden at his best, as, as you suggested. And I, I received dozens of texts from Israelis. The essence of the, the messages were, God bless America, God bless President Biden. So as much as it had a unifying effect here in the United States, which, of course, is very important, I think it had an even more unifying and assuring effect in Israel. What's our role? Our role is to support Israel 100 percent diplomatically, 100 percent politically, provide them with the military resources they need, and they will need them. The beautiful part about Israel which you can make an argument uh, maybe uniquely said about Israel. They never ask us, meaning the United States, to send our troops. All they ask is that we enable them to defend themselves, help them defend themselves. That's what we need to do. They may be on multiple fronts, unfortunately, before we, we know it, whether it's the north, whether it's areas of Judea, Samaria, the West Bank, um, hopefully it'll just be Gaza primarily, but it may be more than that. So we have to provide them with the ability to defend themselves and carry out their military objectives. There will be an alteration, we can pretty much guarantee it, of public opinion in the world. The scenes from Gaza in the couple of days, weeks ahead, if there's a ground invasion, right. will be hard to see. 
Hopefully, the United States, Israel, Egypt will figure out humanitarian corridors so as to enable some level of humanitarian assistance to to get into Gaza and allow people to leave that are innocent. Hopefully, that will be achieved. But public opinion will turn. I hope it doesn't, but most likely against Israel. We have to be a stalwart against the ultimate public opinion that applies too much pressure for Israel to stop before they 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 should. But ultimately, I would argue the most important role we have is during this period of time when Israelis are rightfully, just justly focused on eliminating Hamas and its terror network and getting back their hostages, we have to be thinking about what comes after the military victory. Right. And we can draw some lessons from our own experiences without political judgment in terms of what we did in Iraq, for instance. We had a stunning military victory in Iraq, but the Iraq war did not turn out the way we hoped. So let's make certain that when I hope Israel achieves its military objectives, that we're there to help plot a political set of objectives that serve the Middle East and Israel well for decades to come. There's nothing that's going to, in any way, minimize the horror that occurred. Whether it's 1,200 or 1,300 or whatever number of Israelis were murdered, and now the civilians amongst the Palestinians who will be killed in the military action, they won't be brought back. But what can be done is to build a a safer, better future for both Israelis and Palestinians. That uniquely America has the ability to help deliver with our Arab allies. That, in my opinion, starts with the West Bank and demonstrating to Palestinians that if they support Palestinian leadership that offers a more peaceful, nonviolent manner in which Mm -hmm. to achieve political objectives, that they will ultimately be rewarded. Hamas does not give them that future. We've got to help deliver that future. Just listening to you right now, Robert, shouldn't that be something that the prime minister and other leaders in Israel put right out front? You say, look, the coming days and weeks are going to be difficult for everybody, and not all of it's going to be nice, but we want you to know what we're trying to do and lay it out as opposed to, oh my gosh, everyone's massing around Gaza, and when are they going to invade, and when is the bloodshed going to begin all over again, but in reverse? Shouldn't this be something that maybe Israel gets a little bit ahead of in the ways that you suggest, as opposed to they have to react to the day-to-day news? It may be, but it may also be too much to ask of an Israeli prime minister on the days after the most horrific attack on the Jewish people since the Holocaust, to be talking in a emotive, rational way about what we can do to make life better for us and the Palestinians. He needs to secure his state. He needs to rid Gaza of Hamas. He's got God knows how many hostages at the razor's edge of, of the next horror. So I think we need to give the Israeli prime minister and his war cabinet and most of all the soldiers that will be entering into Gaza the room to do their military job. We are one step removed, thank God, here in the United States. So I would argue it's our job for the time being 
to argue about a vision or, or offer a vision for the future. Um, the Israelis have always made the right decision when it comes to choosing peace over war or choosing a solution over not. It may take them time to get there, um, given what's happened. That's okay. That's our job, I would argue, at this point. That's the job of Saudi Arabia. That's the job of Morocco and Egypt and the UAE and Bahrain. Hopefully this story moves from a lesson in brutality to a primer on humanity. And hopefully that's where we end up. Uh, we pray for, for all those who are still lost. We pray for everyone over there, because if mankind can find peace in the Middle East, everything's possible. Yes. Thanks for spending time with us. Amen. Amen.